the sponsors that hook us up and uh tonight is uh on the podcast is no different and tonight i want to talk about taylor's tins taylor you're a rock star brother if you don't know who taylor is by now pay attention to social media this guy is pushing it out on instagram and facebook and he's doing incredible things stop burning up your leather taylor is making aluminum tin helmet shields and he's killing it totally custom everything from classic to traditional the la style indie Boston, Metro, the Detroit, and the list goes on and on. Any style shield you want, he's doing it. He's cutting it out of aluminum and making it happen. A couple things about his tins, and I just want to hit on it real quick. Deconning, right? Leather absorbs, right? Decon on his aluminum, you wipe and go. It's non-porous material, quick cleanup. Think about it. If you're a fire instructor and you're doing multiple burns a week, get rid of the leather shield and go with an aluminum front. You can wipe it down. It doesn't shrink. It doesn't dry out. It's a home run. Locker tags and his T-chains. Not keychains, T-chains, even though they are keychains. He's cute that way. But Taylor's doing incredible things, and he's a huge supporter of National Fire Radio from day one. All of our guests on the podcast get a Taylor's tin, and we put their name on it, and I'm proud to hand those out. And Taylor has been supporting us from day one, and we support him right back. So if you're not familiar with who he is, go check him out. Taylor's Tins on Instagram and on Facebook. He's got his own website as well, but hit him up on Facebook. Believe it or not, he does most of his business over Facebook Messenger, and from start to finish, he can get you a tin in under a week. This guy is doing incredible things, but he's getting busier and busier. So if you're interested, reach out to him. Get in touch with Taylor on Facebook. He'll design completely customizable, 100%, whatever logo, name, design you want. He's the man for the job. Taylor's Tins on Instagram and on Facebook. Give him a look. Taylor, you the man. Thanks for all the support at National Fire Radio. Everybody listening to our podcast, check him out, man. He's a home run. That was good. I want to buy one another one. We are blessed at National Fire Radio to have the best sponsors in the market. First in emergency products, Ryan Dodd and company here. These guys are rock stars. And let's talk about them real quick. First in emergency products, they're on Instagram and, and Facebook, and you can find them there, and we'll hit their handles out there and so on. But these guys have supported us from day one as well. And now we are fortunate enough that the National Fire Radio studios are located in First in Emergency Products headquarters here in New Jersey. Ryan Dodd, the... Uh, the operator of the company here is a dear friend and he gave us space here so that we can grow and put out the content that we're doing. And I can't thank him enough in the company, Larry Cohan. These are all guys that just, they're rock stars. They support us 110%. And they've been a sponsor of ours from day one. And so we want to talk about their product and we want to talk about the upfitting and the custom cabinetry and consoles they build for command vehicles, chiefs vehicles, police vehicles, EMS, OEM, you name it. These guys are a custom upfitter who makes custom cabinetry and consoles. I think one of the cool things about it too, is when you told me the studio was going to be here, I kind of like rolled my eyes a little bit, but when I got here to see 
and come into this shop and see the dedication and the work that these guys do and the customization, it's not just some shop that's pumping out vehicles as fast as they can. No, absolutely not. I mean, there's like, there's some pride and ownership in what they do and And you can see it when the employees, there's no cookie cutter. This is a hundred percent custom shop. People come in here from the fire chief on down and they get the design, the command vehicles they want. They do vehicles for the West coast, for the East coast and everything in between. They have some cabinets. I just saw them. They have some cabinets going to the West Coast in California that have trifold flat screens that come out, fold up, and flip down with sun, like a sun glare visor on them. They're incredible. It's over the top, but the they're only limited by your imagination. Different parts of the country, as we know, operate differently. And so you can design your command vehicle for accountability, for firefighting, for rescue, you name it. They do it. Totally customizable. And I think what's super cool is today they have this new product called the Gear Safe, which is a containment system for your chief vehicles, command vehicles, and so on, right? Fire vehicles, squads, you name it, utilities, and so on. But I think what's cool about it, Rob, and we were talking about it before, is that especially in the volunteer sector, a lot of chiefs have the ability to have their families. They're driving these cars 24 hours a day in their right. local community. And when you're putting your family, not just putting yourself at harm, but when you're putting your family and your children in that vehicle with you to respond at a moment's notice, but you have contaminated gear in the back, that causes alarm. That causes some concern. And so the initiative of the clean cab concept, this is right in line with that. This is the ability to contain your dirty gear after the fire to get back to the firehouse so you can do proper decon. Their gear safe is an absolute home run. And I suggest you all check it out. First in emergency products, They're on Instagram and Facebook. Ryan and Larry are doing great things here. They have an incredible staff, and I can't thank them enough for having National Fire Radio under the roof in their building. And big things are to come for them and for us. And so a lot more to come on First Emergency Products. Thanks for checking them out. Go to their social. Give them a like. Tell them we sent you over there. They're good friends, stand-up firefighters in the business, and they support National Fire Radio 110%. Guys, check out the podcast. Thanks for checking us out. Have a good night. Enjoy. All right, so, hey guys, Jeremy, National Fire Radio with, as always, Rob. Hi, Rob. Hey. Tonight, in the studio, Fast Rescue Solutions. I'm sitting around this table with a bunch of all-stars, and it's funny because since we started National Fire Radio, every time we get new guests in here, it's kind of one of those surreal moments for guys like me who, you know, I enjoy sitting around and talking about the fire service, and I love meeting guys that just have incredible pedigrees, and... That's where we are tonight. We're sitting around a table tonight, New Haven, Connecticut City fireman, retired battalion chief out of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Capital city. And two brothers from Philadelphia, and then of course Rob Ridley from Poughkeepsie, New York. But for myself, this is this is a cool moment. And um, tonight, Jason, Chief Horst, Michael Horst, Chris Simpson, and uh, Eric Allen are the team or part of the team of Fast Rescue Solutions. And they have an incredible product called the Fast Board. And we're going to get into all that and the backstory behind it. Um, but tonight, here we are. And gentlemen, thanks for joining us. I yeah, mean, this is super cool to have you guys here. We shot a bunch of demonstrations earlier on, and we're going to put those out on all of our channels um, to make sure that we get your product out there. Because the one thing that I'm proud of with National Fire Radio is the authenticity of the content we put out. And you guys are very much in line with that. Chris does a lot of your social media marketing and so on. And so Chris and I connected, and um, it was a no-brainer to get you guys into the studio to really dissect the products, see what the product's all about. And then what I like to do and what we do here at National Fire Radio is we're storytellers. 
And so we want to capture the story behind it because I think the story is the most important part. I mean, this, this tool, this product was designed to save lives. And we have to get into some realistic conversations tonight about firefighting and, um, and down firefighter removals, maydays, and, and RIT operations. And we're going to talk about all that tonight. And um, sitting around this table with you guys, I mean, there's not a better group to talk about it with. So thanks for joining us. Um, let's get into it, man. Eric, you are the, uh, the inventor, the founder and uh, why don't you give architect. me a, the architect? I yeah, like the architect. That. I like that. I thought of the matrix the when you said that. I was yeah, like, oh, I like he's that. the architect. All right. So, Eric, man, lean into that mic. Give us a little background on the product, and then we're going to just flow from there, brother. So, uh, my name's Eric Allen. I'm a Philadelphia firefighter for about 24 years now. I've uh, been on their special operations company um, from the beginning of their formalized training program, which has been about 18, 19 years now. Um, I did firefighting in the Navy. Uh, I served on the USS Forrestal, and I got pulled onto the, uh, the at sea firefighting team. And that's the first real uh, exposure to the fire service that I had. And I was like, wow. The hook. This is freaking cool, man. Everybody wants everybody to do good. Everybody's like helping and all this stuff. No backstabbing. And I, that's when I really decided I want to be a fireman. And I landed in Philadelphia uh, in the last six months of my, you know, my service with the U.S. Navy. And I was like, hey, let me, uh, they're giving the test. I went and took the test. And uh, it took about two years after I got out of the Navy to actually get on the job. I, I was number 86 on the list, and they took 84. <laughs> and, and I was like, I'm not going home. So uh, I guess I'm going to stay here and do shit jobs for until I get home. And that's what I did. I uh, got on the fire service in the, um, in the academy. I mean, really, one of the first things that got impressed upon us was firemen die. And the, the last big fire where, you know, firefighters in Philadelphia had died was, was the Rising Sun Baptist Church. And... Uh, I remember the story, you know, of, I didn't know it at the time, but um, some of the best firefighters on the fire, on the fire department, that, and some of the best ones that I've ever met in the fire service were trying to get that firefighter out of the basement. And they thought they were going to die in that basement because nothing they did worked. Every time they moved up two steps, they moved back one. Every time they moved, they got hung up. So right from the beginning, it was like in our face, you know, yeah. getting a fireman out of a basement <clears throat> is a deadly thing and it is, it is tough. It took me a while. And when I finally got onto the, uh, into the special operations program, I remember, I remember the day that we, uh, we were getting trained to move firemen up a set of stairs and the instructors were like, all right, this is the best we got. It sucks. It's going to suck the entire time. You guys come up with something better if you can. We didn't come up with anything better. We got done with what we were doing. Um, we learned the techniques. We learned it as best we could. It sucked. And uh, then I was real fortunate. I was a bit of a rope nerd, and I got to teach the next three special operations courses. And um, I found myself saying the same thing to the students that was said to me. You know, hey. This sucks. This is hard. It, you're going to have to put your face down in that guy's crotch. You're going to have to get his legs up on your shoulder. 
It's going to suck. Um, on the third time that I did it, I was like, maybe we should try to come up with something better. Yeah. And I bit into it, and uh, I just couldn't let it go. And then it was, you know, I was going to work with some other guys and kids and family and schedules and everything else happened. And, uh, you know, I was out there working by myself, doing popsicle sticks and tool dip and bailing wire and cutting backboards in half and doing all this stuff. And uh, then something hit. Something started to work. And this is what, about seven, eight years ago? It's about seven years ago now. Okay. Seven or eight years ago now. Right. Uh, it's hard to even remember. I mean, seven or eight years ago seems like 100 years now. But, uh, yeah, as soon as I got something that worked, I gave it to guys that I trusted. I was like, I don't even want to watch it. This is how you use it. Go and play with it and tell me. Like, don't be my buddy. Kick me in the teeth. Yeah. Tell me what's wrong. Don't tell me what's right. Tell me what's wrong. And they would come back to me and they would say, this didn't work. This could be better. You know, and I would take it back and I would play with it and I would look at it and I would dream about it. And I'd wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go work on it for three or four hours. And, <laughs> I know that feeling. Or I'd sit and look at the ceiling and think about it forever and refine it, refine it, refine yeah. it. And then uh, I got it to the iteration that we're at right now and I, I took it back to those guys. I, and it was really important to me. I took it back to the guys all the way back to my academy. I took it back to the two guys that pulled that, that fireman out of that basement. That's what I was going to ask you, yeah. And, and I would not launch until I got both of them to look at it and say, yeah, that's good. Um, and it took me a long time to get that done. Uh, and once they said, hey, we can't, I don't see anything more that you can do, and I wouldn't take anything away from it. Yeah. And I said, all right, well, then I'll move forward now. Yeah, I mean that that right there. I mean, it, it's become a, a love for you, right? I mean, this is this is a true passion that you have for this product, and you've put everything into this. I mean, just our conversations before we even started. I mean, just hearing the backstory on all of this is is quite impressive. And then to round yourself out with a cast of characters that have um, a strong pedigree behind you, I have to think that um, you know. And I've seen uh, Steve Jason. I saw demonstrations put on by him yep. with the board, and that was my first exposure to. Um, the fast board and so on. So I know that not only for yourself as the creator of this product, but every guy that you've surrounded yourself with to talk about this product and educate, right? Because you're not selling, you're educating. When you educate the people, the firefighters, right? The guys that you have doing that share that same passion Absolutely. that you have. And that's yeah. cool, man. I, I like that a lot, right? You surround yourself with people you enjoy being with and that share that common theme and it's fantastic. Yeah. Um... I can't have people around me that I don't trust. Right. And I can't have people around me that are, you know, full of shit. You know, everybody who's come forward has come forward and said, hey, we've looked at what you're doing. We are, we are not just interested in it. We want it. Steve Jason, uh, he called me up. I didn't know where he was from. He's like, can I come down? I've been watching you on Facebook. Can I come down and see what you're doing? That's cool. And, uh, That's great. and he, I was like, yeah, I'm working tomorrow. You can come down. And he drove. And I didn't know this. You know, he drove two and a half hours to come down and just take a look at it. And I showed him what we were doing, and he's like, you know, I didn't know him from Adam. I didn't know who he was or what he did or anything else. And uh, I showed him on top of the pool table in the firehouse. And he was like, 
yeah, man, I really like this. Can I show this to some other people? And I just slid it across the table, and I was like, yeah, take it. Nice. Yeah, go. Yeah. Go do. I know he, he shares a passion with, like, all you do, too, on the product. And you, you said something, Eric, that caught my attention. You said full of shit. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about that in the fire service nowadays about full of shit. That is, that is a, a big thing. Chief, you and I talked about this before. Um, and I think it's a concern. And what, what I wanted to dive into tonight, what I think are people that follow our podcast or listen and chime in and so on, I think what they appreciate about what we do is we don't, there's no roses and sunshine. We paint true pictures here. We tell stories and we, we talk about reality. The reality of removing a downed firefighter is not what most firefighters are learning in training. And yeah. Chief Horst and I were talking about this prior to going live with all this. We were talking about in the recruit school about how they teach and removals and standard removals should be taught at day one. And Chief, maybe you want to talk about that a little bit. We were talking about it before. And uh, maybe you want to dive in just a little bit so we can kind of paint the picture. Because where I want to go with this is I really want to talk about how difficult the challenge of removing an unconscious down firefighter truly is. Not in a training building, not with a mannequin, not with a uh, unconscious firefighter, quote unquote, but it's a, you know, just a fireman laying on a floor of a building with no clutter and no furniture and, you know, so on. I mean, the training conditions, truthfully, a lot of times for down firefighter situations are not realistic situations. And so the removal of an unconscious firefighter is probably one of the most difficult things to do and probably one of the least done jobs on the fire ground. Like, if you think about the amount of fires and the amount of firefighters in this country, how many times have, has a firefighter in their career removed the downed firefighter? Probably slim to none, right? So, Chief, you want to start the conversation on that? Would you mind? Sure. Awesome. I think one of the things that we're, uh, we're trying to grasp at FAST is we're trying to crush the current culture. We believe it's wrong. We believe that when you have to go to a writ class to learn how to save yourself first, firefighter survival, that's an epic failure. Yeah. You should have learned that day three of the academy. Day one, this is your turnout gear. Day two, this is your SCBA. Day three, this is how you rescue yourself and the guy next to you. That should be at the academy. But at the writ classes I'm, I'm trying to help people with now, I'm finding that they're spending the first eight hours of a 16-hour writ class on firefighter survival. That's, that's wrong. I believe that the second you snap that first snap on your turnout gear, that's a commitment that I will. That I will is that it's about them. This whole thing, what we do at FAST, is about them. We believe that the only way that you can save a human being in a burning building is to go inside and get them or get them in a window or whatever. But you need to, it's got to be about them. But here's the thing. This is why I am so passionate about this product. From all my time, when I was a fireman, when I was a company officer, when I was a command officer, then I was a battalion officer, when I was the acting chief of the department, it's about your own personnel. 9-11 taught me that. It's about your own personnel. You need to be able to, to, to provide something for them. So here's, here's how I look at it. If you're running at 160% as a human being and you're trying to save people's lives, things are going to go wrong. I don't care how physically fit you are. There's going to be a situation where someone is going to go down. And here's what people have to train at. This has to be the training minimum. The minimum is that you're going to remove an unconscious, not breathing, uh, down fireman in an IDLH. That's the worst case scenario. 
If if you're trapped and encumbered and have uh, three quarters of a cylinder, okay, fine. We'll get you out eventually. You're good to go. We have we have writ bags, fast bags. We we can support support you in many different ways. But when you're unconscious, not breathing in IDLH, you got five minutes to live, and that's the thing that we preach. We preach, preach, preach. Five or die. The five or die mantra that we're about is that if you can't get that unconscious, not breathing fireman in an IDLH out in five minutes or less, it's an epic failure. We are amazed that today that people talk about studies. The studies, the, the two most popular studies in the American Fire Service were conducted almost 20 years ago, okay? Uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and, uh, and Seattle are the, the two old ones. And essentially what came out of that whole thing was it takes 18 to 22 minutes to rescue a down fireman in a writ situation. Listen, we talk about this all the time. If you're a fire chief and you subscribe to that, that's epic failure right there. You're done. It needs, what you need to do, we, we preach this all the time. You need to self-assess your department. If you really think that you want to provide the best protection for your people, you're a fire chief and you're out there listening or you're a company officer, put one of your people down below grade and, and have your personnel start from upstairs and if they can get them up and out without a hasty rescue device, an HRD, like, like a fast forward or something else, then you know what? If you can do that, and I've seen it done, boy. But what about when the A team's not working? What about when it's the B team or the C team or the D team? You know, can you get that done? So that's, that's really why I'm so passionate about it. I think we need to rethink the whole process. We need to go to the worst-case scenario, unconscious, not breathing in an IDLH. There is no time to do anything. That's when the air management man needs to become the bag man and the board man. And, and so we'll go into that later, but it's. How do we do that? I mean, how do we educate, right? I mean, th this is why we're doing this tonight, right? But like, how do we, if that five or die like that, I truly haven't heard that before until right now. And I'm thinking that is a mantra that's going to pound in my head probably for the rest of my career in the fire service. And that is, it's scary, right? Like I think about in the volunteer fire service, career volunteer, it doesn't matter, right? When you, when you take on that responsibility as an officer, as a firefighter, but as an officer, as a chief, you have that responsibility of bringing that company home. You have that responsibility of bringing that fire under control and save, preserving, uh, you know, saving life and preserving property, right? And that five or die, Five minutes goes very quickly in a fire ground. And when you want to get into some real conversations, and this is, Chief, thank you for leading into this because it, it, this opens the door to this conversation. Let's be brutally honest. How many people are going to be able to perform that? Well, and go ahead, Rob. I don't think a lot of people will be able to perform it because I know from my own career, like going to New York State Fire Academy, being taught New York State's version of what, what they consider RIT operations as a fast class, and then like believing in this fake cult um, following of this is going to work. You're going to do great. Like you said, it sucks, right? And then I remember getting out to fire. I've, I've talked about this numerous times. I went out to Firehouse Expo. I did writ under fire. And I said to this guy from Chicago, I was like, well, I've, I've always been taught to do that. And he just, he looked at me. He was like, I'm going to let you try it when the building's on fire and we're going to see how well it works. And I was like, oh, all right. And he just had this confidence to him. And I remember getting in there and like it was hot and I, couldn't move my hands like that digital dexterity went away and it was gross motor skills and it was at that moment where I was like this is why they taught us all these simple things today because this is going to work like all this fake I don't want to say fake news but like all this 
big stuff that I've been taught, it, it went right out the window because none of it none of it worked when I was under uh, a live fire condition. And well, that's, had, that's what stress-induced training is about. Yeah. Stress-induced training brings that about. It, it makes your motor skills start to shut down because your brain can't handle what your eyes are seeing. Yeah. And that, that's what's so important. That's why the five-minute thing is, is so, so mm-hmm. critical. So, uh, you know, we're at FAST, we're supporters of the Firefighter Down CPR protocol. We, we support that. We integrate that. We, we are firm believers in that. But the, one of the things you have to remember is that in, in that IDLH, you know, can you, can you do that? If you're a believer in high-performance CPR like I am, there is nothing you can do while your person, your man or woman is down in that environment. There is nothing you can do to change the outcome. Perfusion is the solution. And without some type of perfusion, they're dying. Mm-hmm. If you can't, and, and the only place for that, I'm sorry to say, is on the sidewall. That's why we believe in that. We believe in that integration. We believe in yeah. that interface, the handoff. But what has to happen is you need to get that person up, out, and on the sidewalk to make that all happen. I think uh, Rob brings up a good point. So you talk about simplicity. So if you looked at some of the like special operations study, when guys are under stress, um, you know all the uh, all the endorphins and everything kicks in, but you lose that cognitive function. And what Eric did was essentially take a lot of technical rescue stuff and make it very simple in one simple package. Yeah. So one click, one pool moving. That's all you got to do. It's like. It's just that simple, and that's how the guys are doing it so fast. 45-degree undercuts. Every, every speck of this is, is done precisely to overcome things like uh, this, the bull nose, getting them on, getting them face down, having the rick connection available if needed, uh, just one clip, and they're in a harness, and you're out the door. Cool. So. And the nice thing about the product, and this is where I fell in love with it, is that like you take a department like myself where the area was running Scots forever, and that's what we were taught on for that fast class. It was like, hey – you're going to use a Scott. And then all of a sudden there was an MSA in the mix and there was a Survive Air and a Spiro because the department was switching over between the two of them. And then there's an MSA. And now I've got a Draeger. Like I have no clue where them straps are, where those alligator clips are, like how they work. And this, you know, and I, I watched you do it tonight in 30 seconds and it didn't matter what, what uh, SCBA, the, no, the, the down firefighter no, had no on. Harness conversion. Yeah. No hasty harness is not doing circle the wagons with the webbing. Yeah. Nothing like, you know, something you can't see. Limited dexterity, high heat, high stress, uh, low visibility. Well, and, that, and that's a good point, right? Because, I mean, the survivability of a firefighter is removing him. Removing him to the care that's going to keep him alive. It's like putting out a fire. Yeah. You get water on a fire, the problem goes away, right? The initial hand line going into that building, like Chief, like you said before, we have to go in to make a difference. We go in, we get water on a fire, problem goes away. It's the same thing. Instead of screwing around, trying to, you know, fittings, alligator clips, switching packs, changing over air, if you can remove a fireman in 30 seconds from a building or in a minute in a building because you have a tool that allows for that, well, guess what? We need to really start talking about that tool because my life, your life, it depends on removal, but it depends on the people removing us. If you have a simple product that works simply in tough situations, I mean, when we do writ removal, we do them in concrete buildings, we do them in basement of homes, we do them on linoleum floors, hardwood floors, and acquired structures. We're not doing them on carpet with 20 inches of clearance between a couch and an armchair and a, and a you know, a uh, coffee table and the, the bookshelves failed and things fell over. And I mean, that's a realistic conversation. And this sled, from what we saw, and I, I, I don't know if sled's the right term, but the fast board, the way this is designed 
it allows for ease of movement. And that's what I like. And the, the bullnose on it, getting it up out of an elevator, you know, from a lower position up the staircase. I've done those classes. I have never removed the unconscious firefighter from fire conditions. Never have. I probably never will. If I do, I hope to think that I can act accordingly. But having a tool, we train on thermal imaging, SCBA, and every other tool under the sun, right? Why wouldn't we talk about a tool that allows for firefighter survivability? It's a no-brainer. Why aren't we talking about it more? Why are we teaching these antiquated lessons in the academy to the, to the incoming students and probies that put your head in their crotch, put their legs over your shoulders, and you can lift them one step at a time? So when it, I go out and do these trainings, I basically start my training. I ask the department, if you haven't made a situation tonight, what is your game plan? Right. And generally, I get a lot of blank stares, and then they'll start saying, well, we do the typical old-school fashion where you find your down firefighter, reset the pass alarm, radio it in, attempt to convert the air pack. I say, okay, how does that usually go? Well, if you drop a strap, you can't find it, it delays the whole thing, then maybe we'll get it done, or maybe we won't, and then we try and drag. Okay, how much coordination has to be done with the dragging, especially if we're going from below grade and up? A tremendous amount of coordination. It doesn't always go well. Okay, how long does it take you guys? And usually you get that 10 to 20 minute mark, like we touched on earlier. If someone is not breathing below grade and it's taking us 10 to 20 minutes to get him up and out into ALS care, what are we truly delivering to the ambulance? A dead body. They're not breathing. It's done. The fiver died. So the simplicity of the board, a simple 30-minute talk tops about the various components, packaging, movements, and they'll be able they're, I'm getting guys removing down firefighters, although not in, under live fire conditions initially, in that two-minute window. It's, it's something that they've never thought was possible. They think I'm full of shit when I first tell them, but then after 10 minutes of actually doing it and seeing you know, the other guys do it, they're like, wow, this is really impressive. I've never done a demo or a training where I walked away and had someone say to me, eh, it's all right, it, you know, it's all right. Everyone is always blown away. They don't believe me, they think I'm full of shit when I get there, but after spending an hour or two with them, they're amazed by what it's capable of. What's, there's there's got to be in this room some great stories of... And I, and I don't want to say like necessarily name out names, but like there's got to be some great personal experiences of bringing this tool to departments and just watching this aha factor, like these light bulbs. Because I always enjoy that just in general. Like you watch people all of a sudden like, whoa, and it, and it clicks on. I mean, do you have, a, is there anything that sticks out for you guys as far as something well, that you can talk one about? One of the first, the first times when, uh, when I had the, uh, I, I got a 3D model made of the, uh, of the board. This is when I first met Chief Horster, and uh, we were on the papal visit. We were off in a field as a you know PA Task Force One. We were training all the time, but we had downtime, and I I kept going over to the table, and I had my little 3D model, and I was tying it with little ribbons and doing this, and I had a little doll, and uh, Chief Horse comes over to me, and he goes, "Hey, what are you doing?" I was like, "Oh well, I'm working on a rescue product." He's like. Show me what you're doing. And I said, okay, well, it's set up this way. And I packaged the doll onto it, and I showed him how it worked. And he goes, pats me on the shoulder and goes, yeah, okay. And he gets up and walks away. <laughs> I and I, and I, I was like, it. who the fuck is this guy? Who the, who's this guy? <laughs> and he walks away, and I'm like, whatever. I keep working on my thing. And he comes back over, and he hands me his business card. And he goes, if you get that pulled pull together, you give me a call. 
And that's how I met Chief Horse. And, and right yeah. there, that was that aha moment. He, he was like, oh. And that was doing it with, you know, a 13-inch little 3D model of what I was doing. And it's always, I, I love looking in the crowd. I loved going to do the demos and looking in the crowd. And I, I like to see that guy who's like looking halfway and <laughs> arms crossed. And you know what's going through his head. Another fucking piece of shit. I could be here. And then, and then you get that guy packaged for the first time. And they're like, man, what, what was that? What just happened? You're done? Hey, do it again. Do it again. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. Something's going on here. I'm missing oh, something. Here, let's... Now, what are you doing? What, you're moving him up the stairs with, what, two people? And they're not completely spent? And then all of a sudden, that guy, leaving that night, is like, we have to get that thing. I love to see those guys. Those are my favorite guys. Have you had the, the ones who aren't confident in their skills because they haven't... Like, they've had just a... I don't want to say a bad experience doing, like... Rit work, but they've had a bad experience. Like they've been taught these maneuvers and it's never worked out for them. And now they're using this and they've got the confidence and they're like, all right, now I'm like, I'm, I'm a lot better at, or. Yeah. I mean, you get it across the, across the whole spectrum. You get guys who are like super confident in everything they're doing. And then they get this and they're like just that much more. And, mm-hmm. and we call it tens and twos. Everybody can't be a 10. Everybody's not going to be a two. You know, you're going you're gonna to have a lot in between. So it gives that breakover that anybody can do this. And that's what we want it for. It's not just a writ board. It's a we're able to save our own. We show up, especially for volunteer companies, you know, when they have very limited personnel. If they've got a one of their buddies goes down, or not even one of their buddies, somebody they don't even know. One of the other companies, they're running with four guys and they're working a fire, and one guy goes down. And the RIT company's 15 minutes out. They're not going to stop and go, I guess we'll just wait and hold right. the fire back right. and wait for the RIT company to come in and save this guy or girl or you know whoever. They're going to go do it. They're going to do the best they can. And it gives them so much more of an option that they know they can go down there, they can get this person onto the board, they can make that connection, they can make that rescue. You know, it, it's not magic. It does take training. It takes familiarization. But well, it's we, a tool. It's a tool. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you hit on something that I, was gonna, I wanted to bring up, is that, you know, when you, when you start reading, uh, you know, NIOSH reports and firefighter fatality reports, and, and I'm going to, after tonight, I'm going to go back and look at some of the uh, firefighter line of duty deaths and read about the situation to see what the time frame is, right? The time stamps on those reports, right? And I can guarantee you it's not five minutes, right? And then take it, take it a couple steps further. You mentioned before removing a firefighter, say up the stairs, right, from a basement or, you know, even, even through a cluttered room. How many firefighters does it truly take to remove a downed and unconscious firefighter? Those guys are spent before they can even get the firefighter out, right? Especially when you're wrestling, struggling, right? So you're talking about it's a manpower exhausting experience. Absolutely. You got to throw people at this problem to make it work. If you have the right tool to make that work, you can do that with a uh, Rob rides with four guys, six guys in in a daytime shift. Two pieces, engine of the truck going out the door. If you have a down firefighter, one, the, the line's got to stay on the fire, 
right? Or the problem's only going to get bigger and, and you're going to be you in a worse shape. You lost one that's down. Right. You lost one to the hose line. That's right. Somebody's got is going to try to run the situation. You might have two or three. Right. And, and that's where I was going with this is it's an exhaustive experience to remove a downed firefighter, let alone throw it at a minimally staffed department. Yeah. A tool like this can only help. You know, and you're right, though, it takes training and it takes knowledge and it takes know how. But to be able to have a tool at your fingertips, I mean, truthfully, I, I will. I'm going to go back and look at some of the some of the fatality reports, because I'm curious now this the, the slogan you guys have put out there, um, I think, needs to be said. I think you need well, to you put can just look at some of the like the, the bigger ones, the Denver drill, where that came from, the Nance yep. drill, where that came from. You look at Brett Harbor out in Phoenix. Flat floor. He was in a, a warehouse. They had to move him around in a warehouse. He was 240 pounds in his gear. I talked to some of those guys. Moving him five feet, exhausted. Moving uh, in Philadelphia, personal experience. You know, I, I was not on the rescue, but I talked to the chief. That it was, he was my chief, ran that job. They found two firefighters at the bottom of the steps. 40 minutes later, they had him out. And then when you go and look at it, you're right on par. And that was Taylor Rubio, right? It was Taylor Rubio. The thing to remember about Taylor Rubio, and I'm not a Philadelphia fireman, but I know this situation well. When Mayor Street did the eulogy for, for firefighter Taylor and Rubio, he made mention that these two Philadelphia firemen died doing something that Philadelphia firemen do every single day of the week, and that's fight a single or a simple row home fire. That's all that was, a simple row home fire. And those two guys, seasoned Philadelphia firemen, died in the basement. That's, that's powerful when you think about that. And you had one of the best chiefs I've ever worked for running that job. You had some of the best firemen that I knew on the Philadelphia Fire Department were, you know, facilitating that rescue. They said every time they moved them up one step, two steps, they moved back one. They ended up trying to cut the bullnose off the front of the steps because they just didn't know how to overcome. They couldn't get it done. And they came out of those basements. They didn't have their packs on. They didn't have their mask on. They didn't have their helmet on. They didn't have their jackets on. Wow. Because people go into frustration, the techniques that we were taught, then they just start grabbing and pulling, and we start stripping everything off of them. And if you go back and look, that's generally how a fireman comes out of a basement, out of a subsurface area with... No, no pack on, yep. no helmet naked on. Naked from the waist no, up. Naked from the waist up. Captain Vinnie Fowler, FDNY, is another example. Uh, yeah. Talked to people that work with Captain Fowler, knew him real well. And, and the first thing that, that the, when I talked about that in the training was, man, he was a big man. Not that he was fat. He was a, a very tall man, very muscular, and he was just simply so large. And when they brought him up at the end, when they, when they finally removed him from the building, he was essentially naked from the waist up. And that's, that's the problem. We're taught in the academy extremity drags, extremity carries, those kind of things. They just don't work in this application, particularly when you're soaked from, from water, perspiration, everything. Uh, it, it just becomes just a, a major shit show when it's all said and done. The board works incredible with large people. In, in the training environment, I've been involved in removing a firefighter who was 325 pounds before he put his gear on, in full gear with SCBA. So we're pushing 400 pounds. I was able, with, through training, to get three guys to remove him up a set of return stairs in about a minute and a half. 
Try doing that with a limp body and an air pack on, catching on the risers as you go up. It's not happening. Because you're able to put a rigid device under him and slide him in a coordinated fashion, it's like nothing else out there. And Chief Horse said it before when we were chatting, and Chief, if you will, talk about the bag of chain versus the steel I-beam, because I think that analogy sits very well, and I think it's smart, and I think it paints the picture of putting it into perspective for guys trying to picture this. So if you wouldn't mind. Well, I I talked... You know, I talked about that. Eric and I had this conversation coming back from the FDIC this spring, and uh, we were talking about how you how you explain. And Jason just talked about it perfectly. How do you explain to the layperson how this thing works? It's not a parlor trick. It's not magic. So the way we talked about it was you take a 250-pound chain. It's, it's the base of the steps. Okay, so you put it in a, a sack, and you need to move it to the top of the steps. So the process is simple. You have to... Lift the chain, you have to step up one step. You have to set the chain down. You have, you have to do that for 15, 16, 17 steps in a residential application. It's awkward. It is awkward. Yep. What the fast board does, exactly what Jason just said, it takes the 250-pound chain. It doesn't reduce the weight, not one ounce, but what it does, it changes its form. It becomes a 250-pound steel beam, and it, then it becomes magic. Then it's much easier to work and, and up the steps. That's the. And it's not just steps. Getting someone up on a windowsill. Sure. Trying to get a 400 pound object that's limp up onto a windowsill. Very, very difficult. With this, so much easier. So yeah, much and, and we talk about down firefighters, but I mean, Eric, let's talk about um, civilian removal. Absolutely. I mean, you go ahead. I've actually pulled out civilians. You, know, you find an unconscious civilian, they are a bag of meat. Right. That's, that's all they are. They're a bag of meat. There is no rigidity in the body you know what we do with the with this is we put them on a semi-rigid or a rigid platform we strap them down to it at least a portion of them becomes rigid we cut down on the friction so now it moves across a surface better then we give it the ability to walk over the top of things so now we don't have to worry about it getting pushed under something that's, that's really what it's about. Yeah. It's, it's about identifying the problems. And the problem isn't, you know, that a firefighter went down. It's, it's the problems of taking a bag of meat and moving it. You know, it's just, a, and I, I hate to refer to a fireman or anybody as that, but that's what they really are. That's what it feels like when you're trying to move them. And, and I think for you painting that picture, I think it's, I think it's necessary because so many and myself included, have not had to remove a downed firefighter or a civilian. I just haven't been put in that position. And so, you know, for me, trying to, you could train all you want, but you train on, uh, you train on 200-pound dummies, you train on firefighters, they are rigid. You know, the, the picture you're painting and what you're talking about really starts to, starts to settle in a little bit to understand that this is a much bigger issue that I don't think is being talked about. The realistic conversation on removing somebody under fire conditions in a building is not talked about. Well, I, th- I think that is the problem. And, and, you know, big shout out to Steve O, one of our guys. He says this all the time, and I, I, I never steal his thunder. He talks about what RIT has become today, and he's, he's dead spot on. It has become a checkbox on a tactical worksheet. That's it. Yeah. That's it. We're, 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 we're talking with people around Pennsylvania, at least I am, that their rent is either one hour, it's either 60 minutes or 60 miles away. Their rent, that's criminal. It's criminal. It's a checkbox on a tactical worksheet. 
what this whole thing is about is we're trying to reduce the number of firefighter fatalities. We're still killing the same amount of firemen every single year. We're not changing that. The you know shame on the alphabet organizations that are trying to to hijack our our fire service. They're not making an impact. We're still killing a hundred firemen a year. And the problem is we have to look now. Will the fast board save everybody? Absolutely not. But what an HRD, hasty rescue device, will do, it'll take somebody. And uh, you know, think about Chief Don Abbott's made it project made it. Excellent read. And I highly recommend anybody uh, that has an interest in this read up on that. You'll see that a large portion of the mate, not a large portion, but about 8% of the maydays uh, are attributed to medical conditions. That's where we think we can make an impact in that number. We can reduce the amount of dead firemen in America by trying to get those that have medical events in a, in a building uh, unconscious, not breathing, not we can get them up and out in five or under, you know, defeat the five or die. We think that's where we're going to make an impact. And that's why we, we believe that the fast board is just like the AED on your fire truck. And I ask this all the time. Do you have an AED? Most people today say, yeah. And I'll ask them, who's the AED for? Every once in a while, I'll get a fire chief will try to tap dance with me. Well, we bought that for Mr. and Mrs. I go, stop. You're lying. It's not for Mr. and Mrs. Smith. It's for your fireman first yeah. and Mr. and Mrs. Smith say, this is the exact same thing as an AED. It's a first-line piece of, of rescue equipment that's for your people before RIT gets there. And that's why we're so passionate about it. And going back to the Mayday project, you know, I, I agree with Chief Horst 100%. If, if you haven't read it, you should read it. It's got an enormous amount of math in it. There's no opinion in it. It's math. And that 8% that we're talking about, and we'll, we'll go to, to demos or whatever, and they're like, well, only 8% of, of uh, rescues are done by RIT companies. Okay, we understand that. You know, 75% is done by the guy next to you, and the 80% is done by the next company over. The 8% that we're talking about is where 90% or more of the fatal fatalities happen. Why would I talk about the guy who got pulled out by his buddy? Right. Oh, you got your foot stuck. Call a mayday. Okay, uh, uh, got your foot unstuck. Hey, let's go. We're talking about the guy who goes down. He's not talking to anybody. He's not doing anything. He's not breathing. He's not moving. And we got to call the RIT company. I'm going to grab him. I'm going to do the best I can for him. But you better get somebody else in here. Yeah. You better get something else in here because I'm not getting him up that set of steps. That's who we're talking about. You know, those are the ones... If a floor collapses on somebody, if somebody's entangled in something, hey, we're going to do the best we can. It's probably not going to work out the, in the, the way that we want it to. The guy who goes down after the job in the overhaul, he's in the basement, boom, he gets hit by some gas, whatever, he goes down. Those are the guys that we're, we're looking at pulling out. You know, it, it's, you know we, we talk about a lot of different things. We talk about them. We're all here for them, right? We're here. We put ourselves in jeopardy every single day for for the public that we serve. But, Chief, you and I were talking about this before. We also have to talk about us. And sometimes we don't talk about us enough. I mean, technology and the fire service has come a long way. Just in the 25 years that I've been a firefighter, I've seen massive sweeping changes. Chief, you've been in uh, a few more years than I and, and so on. So, you know, there's been sweeping changes. But why are we lacking in the true conversations we need to have about protecting our own, protecting us, right? <laughs> we talk about physical fitness. We talk about cancer is becoming a huge conversation these days, and at least it's being talked about. 
right? But are we talking about firefighter safety and survival on a level that needs to be talked about, meaning it's true, it's real, it's in your face? I don't think we're educating our own firefighters enough. I don't think we're having that bag of meat talk. And I don't say that weirdly. I, I mean that in all sincerity is, well, you know, think about it. I, I almost think that in a lot of ways, uh, instead of having the talk, we're actually talking ourselves out of it. And we're saying like, oh, well, you know, if it's 8%, I mean, that's real. I mean, we, if it happens, we're all going to go buy a lottery ticket because we're real lucky that day. Like, you know, it's, it's and I, there's this disassociation that it's not going to, or this uh, belief that it's not going to happen, like that ostrich. And, and I think, and I've seen it happen more than once where people are just kind of like, yeah, no, like, we, you know, we, we, we do it, but yeah, I mean, it really. It doesn't matter where you live. Two fires a year. Like rural, single family homes, ranches, high rises. It happens everywhere. You see yeah. all the NIOSH reports. Yeah. And, it and, could be, and we uh, prove it. Over and over again. That's why we're not. The study's already come out. It's going to take 18 to 22 or 25, or we're not going to get it done. The study supports what we're going to do. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen, and they're going to die. And, and we're, we're covered. It's a, it's a liability issue. we got to have that checkbox so when they go back and look, they're like, oh, well, he checked it. We can't go after him. We can't go after the department or the officer. The checkbox was, was, it was there. But that conversation is, you know, is a really hard one. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it has been hijacked by a bunch of other things like rope rescue. Rope rescue, you don't move somebody until they are as safe as they can possibly be, where there is going to be no damage done to them from point A to point B. That's great. If we got everything else going our way. But if we don't, safety has to go out the window. Safety gets put back on the list. It has to be sped up. You know, We're putting ourselves into dangerous situations to be able to get a lot of value out of it. High risk, high reward. Low risk, low reward. You know? Hey man, if I got 30 minutes to package this guy and fly him out and he's stable, I'm taking all 30 minutes. I'm taking every second I got to make sure that he is 100%. And that's a training score. That's what that is. That's you a go to training, score. and it's okay. It takes – the instructor says, hey, good job, guys. It took you 30 minutes to get this guy up and out. But then they also know that they set up the uh, scenario that uh, was almost impossible to defeat, you know, and they, they wanted everybody to be creative. And they had to saw through walls and cut through concrete and, and burn steel, and they had to do – they had to do all this sock stuff, which is senseless. Okay, if, if somebody's encumbered in that kind of situation, that's problematic. That's going to take a special skill set to take care of all that. But we got to go back to the beginning. Unconscious, stop breathing in ideal H, and it's simple up and out. Can you get it done in five minutes or less? Hell yeah. And one of the things that I'm so proud about with us, this team, uh, you know, being a part of the headshed of, of Fast Rescue Solutions, is what we offer. We show people how to move people from above second, third floor on a fast board with no ladders, no mechanical no added mechanical advantage, no ropes and pulleys, no whiz bangery, none of that. It's all right there. It's on that board. A little bit of common sense, a little bit of what we show you. Bam! Taking people out windows with no ladders. How about that? No ladders on a fire ground. We throw a ladder in a rescue position. Oh, we need another ladder above. We need. It's time. Eric talks about it. it's the math of firefighter rescue. Every second that you steal from that victim is a stolen second you'll never get back. There needs to be a way, 
this is the way. HRD, a little bit of training, it gets it done. That, I mean, that's a really good way to put it. Every second you take away from the victim, from our brother, from our sister, right? You're They're stealing, not taking away. Stealing. 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 Yeah. It's well put, Chief. Yeah. Well put. Well, that's his. He, yeah, I, well, I'm stealing from him. Nah, I mean, all you got to do is just think about which one's more important, the inhalation or the exhalation. Just stop at either one of them. Yeah. You're going to figure out what's important yeah. real quick. No doubt. And... We get down to a down fireman, and then we check his bottle, and then we check his face piece, and we check for a pulse, and then we give uh, our Luna, and then we give this, and we give that, and we haven't moved him at all. Silence the the alarm. Silence the alarm, and, you know, start adjusting straps and doing this. All we're doing is just eating away at his time, eating away at her time. Yeah, How about a waist belt conversion? Wait, but have all, we, have we changed that uh, yet? Have we changed that culture about wearing your waist strap? Jason hit on that, right? Yeah. I mean, you said that before. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, so <clears throat> so it's it's a hot button item right now about wearing your SCBA correctly. Well, if 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 your if your go to method is a seatbelt conversion, and the department that you're working isn't disciplined enough to snap the seat the, the waist strap, so what's the sense of that? You're wasting time it, looking for it. Stealing time. Stealing mm-hmm. time. Absolutely. Which we're trying to we're trying to crush this culture. We're trying to change people's thought processes on how they look at this. I love it. Yeah. And really what it is, is it, it's a lot about litigation. It's a lot about you can't put out information that has a crack in the safety. So we safety ourselves to death. Or we safety ourselves into your death. Yeah. Fuck safety. I, I say it all the time. Safety third. I'm like, hey man, we're in a dangerous profession. Yeah. Am I gonna safety? Is, there's a difference between being safe and being careful. If I want to be careful, I'll stay home. You know, I'll exercise in my house. I can be in good shape. I can eat good food. I can do all of that. But it, if I'm gonna be safe, then I need to know everything about what I'm doing. I have to train it. It has to be. I have to be proficient. I got to make sure the guy next to me is proficient. I got to go in and make sure he's got my knowledge. I got to make sure that the chief has, understands my knowledge and the guy behind me has that knowledge. That's being safe. We don't go into safe situations. We go into burning buildings. Right. We go into you know, hazardous atmospheres. We go into trenches and swift moving water and you know, debris fields and, and whatever else is there. There's no safeties for there. You know, safety? What? Am I going to tape my ankles first? No. We're ro- we are rolling out. We're, we're rolling out to get it done. Yeah, and not only that, but then put it, put the, put it, the mix of a, a friend, a colleague, and a brother down. And it's your responsibility. You're charged with that responsibility. Yeah. So, them. so you got to ask people, when you jump up, when you pull yourself up on the apparatus, and, and, and I make eye contact with Chris across the sitting in the other seat, What's, what goes through? What do you think goes through my mind? I look at. Oh, we're going to a job. But I want you rescuing you. Well, what I'm thinking is. Me. What I'm thinking is, can I rescue you? That's what I got to be thinking before I think about anything. What, what my seat number is, what my seat assignment is, my tool assignment. I need to be able to look across and say I can get him, and he needs to look at me and say he can get me. But that's not what people talk about. People, we're going to a job. Their eyes get big and, and their tongue hangs out. And woo-woo. 
That's don't, not what it's about. Yeah, don't put your pack on. Put your seat. Put your seatbelt on. Your vest. Let's be safe. Yeah. But like I said, as soon as you snap that first buckle on your turnout, you're saying, "I will, I will, I got this." And I don't think people get that. I think we're losing track. I think we're losing track or lost track. I really do. And and I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. We talk about it all the time on this platform that inherently when you sign up that day, you sign up to be a fireman, you're accepting responsibility to bleed, barf, get smoke inhalation, all of it. We can't protect ourselves in a job that inherently is dangerous. So we can, we can do the best we can. We can do the best we can. Yeah, but no doubt. There's no such, doubt. There's now such we're a, in the clean cab concepts and not having our air packs. There's it's, all of that. Time, there's time, all time, time. We're just wasting well, stealing time. But this this is the thing that I and and this is why I like what the chief is saying because I thought for ye- well not, I don't want to say years but I was like I was here in this whole like we're here for them and like when you say you do that that snap and you're taking that like I'm here to do this and I was like man like who's who's saying this who is doing this and then I went out to Firex Talk in Portland and they had a whole discussion on it. And there was a guy from Cherry Hill, a guy from the Midwest who had a clue, and this uh, Rockstar Chief Mo Davis from Houston. And we all looked at each other at the table and we're like, what the fuck are they talking about for them? Like, no shit we're here for them. And everybody's coming up with answers and stuff. And I'm like, and I I didn't say it because I was trying to be polite and I didn't want to screw anything up. But I was like, why are we having this discussion? It's Mo Davis's PDX. He goes, would you want me rescuing me? Yes, it's yes. Very, very good. Yeah. Everyone should listen to it. Yeah. Eric sent it to me. I think the chief, or he put it on his Facebook, and yeah. I just listened. It's great. Twenty minutes. There's P- people who got it. Yeah. yeah, but like the fact that we had to have that conversation. He's good. That's was good. even like because this was a workshop, and I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, why are we at all having to tell people that we're here for the people who call 911? But you got to drill down a little bit. You know, Jeremy talked about uh, uh, this earlier. Yeah, some of today's fire service is in better shape. Some of them are still in the middle, and some of them are just downright liabilities. That hasn't changed. And it, never it, it isn't exactly. It never will change. Right. But we need people to subscribe. I'm excited that people are buying what we're selling, and I don't mean the fast board. I mean the culture. Right. We have departments that are taking it serious. That they have people that want to be the guy with the fast board. They want to be the guy. They want to be the dedicated board man. Board man. Their responsibility is to carry the fast board, carry a six-foot steel hook and a pro bar, doing all the things that we teach them to do. That's their job. They bought into that. They want to be the best guy on the fire ground that if someone goes down, they have the solution to that problem. <laughs> and that's what it needs to be. We need that culture to continue like that. That's the sure. culture that needs to get bred. Absolutely. Needs to get bred. And unfortunately, yeah. there's a lot of departments that don't buy into that culture. And that's the complacency that comes out of that yep. is what's going to lead to more line-of-duty deaths. Ah, it's not going to happen in my department. I don't do enough calls. I don't do many fires. We don't need this. We're not going to get an active shooter scenario. Let's huh. not do that. Yeah. Companies yeah. in New York completely changed their box cards on who responds to their location based on who had the board on their apparatus. We've had that's departments how. completely overhaul their RIP program. We've had, mm-hmm. We're having a country... That's completely overhauling their RIP program. So let's talk about that real quick because your exposure is growing and it's in, and chief, your culture is growing. Absolutely. And I like to think that more and more people are subscribing to that culture. I think there's a shift happening. I think we went too far. It's just like society. We've gone too far the other way. And now there's that shift to start bringing it back, right? We got to get it back because the only way this job's going to survive and the only way this job's going to remain good 
is if we bring it back, if we understand and inherently understand it's a dangerous job, it's a blue-collar job, and that's what it's always been and that's what it's always going to be. We can always put more safeguards in place, but at the end of the day, you have a job to do, and that job is dangerous. So bringing it back, but Eric, you guys, the exposure, brother, you guys are all over the place. So let's talk about some uh, some success stories Some uh, outside of the United States. You have a lot of exposure and so on. You got some stories to share? Yeah, we uh, when, when we were... Just really getting going. Uh, we were contacted. Uh, I was contacted by a, a gentleman in uh, in France, and uh, he was going to be in the U.S. vacationing, and he wanted to meet up with me. I met with him for a couple of hours, and uh, he really liked what we were doing. I didn't hear anything for a little while, and then uh, I got contacted by a company in France, uh, Carat Fire Rescue, and by their lead trainer, uh, Fabian, and. Uh, they wanted to sell sell our product, and I was like, "Well, that's great. I really appreciate that, but you have to come get trained by us." And he said, "Okay, when when's the training?" And then I had to scramble. <laughs> I, I was like, "Oh shit! I got to put oh, together yeah. training." <laughs> so we got yeah. training put together. Uh, they've gone back over there. I think they're in seven or eight countries in Europe right now. Uh, the board is in the um, the Paris Fire Brigade. We actually, I'm still trying to get the. Uh, the data on it, but they pulled the fireman out of a basement. Um, unfortunately, he perished. Uh, and I got to meet the firefighter. I recently was over in Paris, and I got to meet the fireman who pulled him out. And he's on one of the competition teams that we support over there. Um, and I didn't even know about it. And what I didn't know is that the Paris Fire Brigade is a military branch. Mm-hmm. So getting information out of that is, is very difficult. But he told me about the situation. He said, uh, there was a gas explosion. Firefighter fell from the second floor down into the basement. Wow. He was the board man that day. Went in, packaged him, pulled him out, got him out. He was alive. Unfortunately, he perished either on the way to the hospital or, or in the hospital. Um, we were contacted by, or I was contacted by Taiwan. And uh, I was like, I'm not going over there. Hell no. I'm not having people, you know, copy my stuff or steal it or this or that. And, um Mostly because of my lack of knowledge. And then I got a call again. And then I got a call again. And I kept saying, no, no, no. And finally, uh, a fire captain from Taiwan called me and he said, uh, hey, can you please come? Our firemen are dying. And I was like, whoa, 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 what's going on? So we've lost 12 firemen in the last year. Wow. And we couldn't move them. We didn't know how to move them. And nothing worked. Can you please come? I was like, all right, I'll, I'll come. Got over there, trained them, trained them on the situation that, you know, the basic training that we, we give, uh, trained them on the situation that they were involved in. They had five, six firemen um, that they couldn't move. It took them three hours after the, you know, getting the fire under control. I was able to package them with one other fireman and move them out in about 15 minutes. And guys just left. Guys who were on that job just walked away and just were overcome. You know, and then I found out that you know, one of the members of, was a member of their family. Wow. They were in there trying to rescue not only their brother fireman, but was a member of their family. Yeah. And they had to walk away. They came back later. and uh, We talked about it, but you know, we're, uh, we're getting a lot of recognition on that. Those stories got to fuel the growth of your company, though, in this product. 
and, well, and the desire fuels, the, the desire to really get this out there. It fuels us. Yeah. You know? um, it it keeps it fresh for us. It keeps it quickens us. You know, it uh sometimes you just tired, man. You're just like I got to get up and do this again today. And then you think about that and you're like I'm going to get up and go do this again today. And then I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it again. Because that's the only way you're going to change a culture. And that's why you're changing that culture, and that's where I was going to go with it. I mean, that, that's you hit it spot on. And that's what it's all about. It's awesome. So, not to change gears, but, like, what's some of the other options? I know we were, we were going around with the board before, but, like, there's like that's one of the huge points of this board, and it's, its whole uh, operation is not just for fast operations or RIT operations. Yeah. We were, I mean, it was originally designed for getting a fireman out of a basement. Right. Then we're like, well, why can't we bring a fireman down a set of stairs? Why can't we bring a fireman down a ladder or off a roof? And then it was like, well, where else do we have problems? So now we've, uh, we've added the drag blanket onto the board. And everything's modular. So everything's plug and play. We added the, the drag blanket to the, the board. So now we're doing hazmat and civilians better. We added the flotation ring so that we can do water and ice. And really what that's about is that familiarity breeds uh, confidence. So if I have one piece of equipment that I might use two or three times in my career, all those skills are perishable. If I'm not pulling that thing off all the time, if I'm not spot on guy with it, you're going to fumble. If you got one piece of equipment that you're using across a broad spectrum, I can do that, that in confined space. I can do that in RIT. I can do that in hazmat. I can do that in water. I can do it in ice. I can do it in mass casualty. I can do it in a tactical or a you know, mass event. You're gonna, it's going to breed that confidence to be able to go in and get it done and get it done correctly and in the, the appropriate amount of time. I, and I was like, you, you talked about it before, the, the tactical side of it. Because um, I like where I'm at work, we're doing a rescue task force now. So we're trying to get like all these solutions to moving people who've been shot and, and getting them out of that to like a casualty collection point. And when you started talking about that board and how you're going to design this, or you've designed it to be either a 3A or you can go above that and it can take, you know, some serious rounds like from a 556 or a 308. Like that's, that's pretty, yeah, pretty important. With, and it's, I don't want to say it's only 11 pounds, but like, that's really not that much weight in the grand scheme of things when we're talking about what we're moving. Yeah, so the board weighs about 15 pounds stripped down. Uh, we put, if we we're putting our highest level, our AR, AK uh, ballistic panel on there, which is stopping rifle rounds, um, we're only at about 32 pounds. That's about what a ballistic panel is that they're doing tactical entry with already. Mm-hmm. And that tactical entry panel that they use, a shield that they use, they refer to it as the car door. Nobody wants to be the guy who carried the car door <laughs> through a freaking house. You know, with this, you can, you can move in there, you can use it as a, uh, as a barrier between yourself and, you know, somebody if, if they're shooting at you, you can use it as a barrier between you if it's a mentally handicapped person just to have a barrier there. You can use it as a combative tool. One of your guys gets, gets a round in them, Lay it right down, package them, and, and start pulling them out immediately. You don't have to call for somebody else. Well, that's a that's a great 
point to bring up because I just know like and just about the product real quick, but like we did rescue task force training and and stuff with the SWAT team, and we did it in a movie theater, and one of the guys ended up getting shot for simulation purposes at the bottom of the movie theater at the, at the screen and had to go up. And I watched these guys struggle, and I was like, hey, like we're gonna take a time out real quick. I want to show you some maneuvers that we do with uh, the rapid intervention teams, but like it, it's gonna work the same way. Yeah. And these guys were like, you know, they, I mean, everybody went through the, the stuff. But like this, now you have a ballistic shield that like your you know your threat's been eliminated. You get a guy on there, and it's gonna that's just gonna be a huge hit for for law enforcement. And we were able to task force teams. Uh, about two years ago, we were I, I went and showed the board to uh, Philadelphia SWAT, and immediately were they were like, yes, we are buying that. Mm -hmm. uh, we were able to get them in there. Uh, the feedback I got in about two weeks was. You have cut, the, the system has cut our officer rescue time in half in the first two weeks. That's incredible. That's awesome. That's incredible. And that's a lot of, like, because, I mean, it's the same weight, right? Like what yep. we have on as for fire gear versus what they have with plate carriers, yep. rifles, magazines, you know, tactical doodads, whatever, it's a cape somewhere in there, you know. Yeah. Like, when I started in fire service in the 70s, this would have been science fiction to talk about this. In the 80s, working on the job, firemen in, in that environment, uh -uh, we ain't going in there. That's not what we do. That's not what we signed up for. Now today, the con ops for fire departments to be involved in the tackle side is right there. We're saving lives. That's what we signed on to do, save lives. You know, why not have people train firemen mm -hmm. in, the, in a situation where you're using the right equipment, you can get in and, and save people, stop bleeding, get people out of those areas and get it done. I was amazed to do shows and see how popular Kevlar helmets and ballistic vests are that say fire rescue on them. And when I talk to the people that sell them, oh, we can't keep them in stock. And then I ask the price, and that blows me away. I'm like, really, there's a market for this? Absolutely. It's because areas have signed on that and decided that's what we're going to do. Well, and especially when you look at reports where they didn't do anything mm -hmm. and people just bled out. Correct. And we know that like a tourniquet is easy to apply to somebody. We know a chest seal or dressings are easy to stuff a wound with and stop the bleeding. And, you know, it's just, I mean, I'm, I'm happy my department's taking a proactive approach to it because I know there's departments that haven't. And I, I had to explain it to somebody the other day. I said, you don't want to be like a city that I'm not going to name that had people outside going, help me, help me on the door. And they just sat there in lockdown mode while people bled to death out on the front steps. Well, like, fortunately, you know, our war fighters have proved that you can save people's lives, gunshot mm -hmm. victims' lives in the field a lot quicker than, than you could have uh, even 10 years ago. And yeah. that's, that's the amazing part of that. So it's nice to be a part of that. Yeah, and the crossover is getting more and more. Fire, EMS, and police, first responders, they are working together more and more and more. And to have a confusion about what the tool that you're using and the tool that I'm using is, not, is again, is going to be nothing but a time stealer. If, if you can't figure out how to package somebody because there's six connection points and you don't get it done right and you get halfway out and it becomes ineffective and then you start just grabbing and dragging again, yeah. well, you're just stealing time from that person. Yeah. I just did a training for a department a couple of weeks ago, a career department, four shifts. I did training for all four of their shifts. I ran into, actually I did a training last night for a guy from that job's volunteer department. Prior to the fast board, they had a device for removing down firefighters. I said, how's it going with the fast board? He said, as soon as everyone received training on the board, that one went off the rig, this one went on, 
This is their go-to device now. Completely changed how they do their operations. It's a game yeah. changer. Yeah, for sure. That's what we get a lot. That, that term right there. It's a game changer. I remember the first time I heard it. I was like, oh, my God, what is that? And then they, I heard it again. First time I was like, ah, that's just an anomaly. You know, and then it was again. And then it was again. And it's a game changer. Yeah. And, and it's not magic. Yeah. It, it does, yeah, take, it right. does take training. Right. You do have to work with it. You do have to be familiar with it. If you want to be good with anything, you better That's right. You better have your training. That's right. And don't give up your basics. Your basics add to this. We don't we never put this in play and say, okay, forget everything else you've got. You know? No. All that has to come with you because all of those lessons are on the shoulders of men and women before us, of the warriors that were before us, the, the teachers that we had. Why would I ever get off that man's shoulders that taught me everything that he had? I stand proudly on that man's shoulders and move the next guy up above. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, all that is. And that's part of that culture, and that's what you're talking about. I mean, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a product. It's a culture, and it's, it's shifting that culture in a fire service to understand that it's important to be able to five or die get them out in five minutes these 18 to 20 minutes plus um, you know firefighter removals it's just unacceptable yep. epic failure yeah yeah well, well, that, and that's the one thing i think people have to look at they, that i think a self-assessment is critical if, if you're in an apartment somewhere someone listen to this you have any any doubt whatsoever in your your current system self-assess take that five minute test if you can pass it Okay, but if you can't pass it, then you, you need to start looking at how you can defeat that. There's a lot of devices out here. Right here is one you can try. I think when you try it, I think you'll like it. Get a demo. Ask for a demo. They're free. Come yeah. out there, tell me I'm full of shit, try the board. and So how do we do that? Wrong. Chris, where are you? Where We're are all you over the place. We're yeah, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we got a newly updated website as uh, both fire and tactical side. And Fast Rescue Solutions, are you working with others across the country to get the product out there, or is it through you? It's through us. Okay. Yep. All right. Good. And, and overseas in every country, too. I mean, yep. you guys. Yeah. You know, it's funny that the reach of social media is hilarious, and I, I, I find it for us, too. We got a lot of people from Chile, Argentina. Uh, Israel. You know, Israel. Yeah. 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 Right? I mean, it's just, it's incredible how, you know, platforms like this can really get the message out. And when you guys are talking about a culture shift, I think what you find is people want to subscribe and they want to be a part of that culture shift. And in order to be a part of that culture, you have to understand and and agree with that culture. And this is part of it. And you guys are doing great things. And I have to say, game changer? I think so. Yeah. I'm, after tonight, we're going to line up. I want to get you up this way. I want to do some training with you guys, with my department and the neighboring departments. Um, and so on. So we're going to, we'll get that put together. Absolutely. But, um, you know, it's, it's a no brainer. And I, I just want to say, not that we're cutting this short, but, uh, you know, we've been going for about an hour or so, but I just want to say thank you. You know, what you guys are bringing to the table and what you've done for the fire service is game changing. And you guys have introduced a product that deserves attention and there's no smoke and mirrors here. It is what it is. And it's built and made and developed by guys that believe in this culture of, you know, pro firefighter, pro survival, and that's important. That's important. We well, you know what that said. We're trying to grow our team, you know, our tribe, as we call it. We're we're looking for people that that look at this and say, you know what, I'm I'm uh, I, I want to dedicate myself to this. I want to dedicate myself to this this culture change, and uh, we're we're always looking for people to help us promote this around the world.
Fantastic. And I'm, and I'm happy that we could do our part. And, uh, and I'm glad that you guys were here tonight. I think this is fantastic. I'm excited to get this content out. And, um, and again, guys, thank you. Thanks for being here. Um, Jason Rivera. Thank you, Chief sir. Michael Horst. Well, appreciate it, brother. Thank you. You and I have uh, shared many stories together over the years. What brotherhood's uh, about. It is. And uh, Eric Allen, thank you, brother, for trusting us with your story. Absolutely. Thank and, you. And uh, Chris Simpson, man, keep pushing. You guys are doing great things. And uh, Rob, take us out of here, man. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, guys. Take care. That's fantastic. Right there. Okay. Awesome. <laughs>